Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to continue in the messages taken from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, that Jesus preached as he began his ministry. We've come to the verses of Scripture that um, some may feel makes them uncomfortable. And uh, we're going to be dealing with this, and that's my prayer, that... Um, that these, this message will not make you feel comfortable, but help you to understand clearly what the Word of God says uh, about the subject of marriage and divorce. I want to start off by saying that God hates divorce. But God does not hate divorcees. Okay, let me say that again. God does not hate divorcees. It is divorce that God hates. Let me say this. If you're divorced, God is not finished with you. You have not committed the unpardonable sin. You are not in a position where there is nothing you can do in the kingdom of God. And please don't use your past as an excuse to stay out of serving God today. Our God is a great God. He is full of amazing grace. He is, a, he is full of amazing mercy. God is not finished with you. You have a place in the kingdom of God and in the church of God. And I want to tell you that divorce makes no one a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. And it should not in the church of God. Uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. As we look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31, uh, I'm speaking today on Jesus and divorce. I, I realize that this is an emotionally charged subject. I understand that. I also understand that there is not a person here that has not been affected by divorce in one way or the other. Our families, our friends, divorce is common in our day. And in spite of it being an emotional issue, I want us to look at the Bible and go through the scriptures and see what God has to say about marriage and divorce. I, 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 want it, uh, I want to be an encouragement to you today. First of all, if you have been divorced, serve God. Uh, he's not through with you. He's not through with you. If you are married, let me encourage you to do what the Bible says for you to do. And to, and to work hard to have the kind of marriage God wants for you. Let's stand this morning for the reading of the scriptures. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 31. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Let us pray. You have your Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your scriptures, dear Lord. There's so many things have been misunderstood through this through the word of God. And dear Lord, we're just going to open up your word and let your word speak. And dear Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that, that, uh, that, that we will uh, examine uh, the scriptures and that we will do according to how your word says. Dear Lord, I just pray that some also here that they'll realize their need for salvation, accept you before it's everlasting too late. Help us all, dear Lord, regardless of our situation, to live for you and to seek your will for our lives. 
Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness, dear Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, baby. See I really believe that everything in the Sermon on the Mount revolves around the verse of Scripture in chapter 5 and verse number 20. And, and, and that verse, it says, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the, the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, then Jesus starts using a series of statements uh, like in our text. It hath been said. Uh, you have heard that it was been said. He uses those phrases. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said that? Uh, why he said, uh, it hath been said, or, or ye have heard that it was said. That's because the literacy, the illiteracy rate at this time was unimaginable. Uh, it's been estimated that during this time, the literacy rate was between 2 and 5%. So what the people knew about God in the Hebrew Scriptures, they had been told orally. Uh, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, he would say, have you not read? Uh, but when Jesus was speaking to the common person who uh, was mostly illiterate, he would say, it hath been said. That is the reason why. Well, human nature being what it is, and the Pharisees being what they were, they would many times get it wrong to suit themselves. They told the people what they want them to know and believe. Not only that, but the rabbis had written a commentary on the law. And by the time of Jesus' day, this commentary had risen in priority above the actual scriptures. And I, I want you to understand that the only way we're going to understand what Jesus said about divorce is we need to understand the context. We need to understand the religious context surrounding these words. There were two rabbinical teachers that everyone listened to during the time of Christ. One of them was Rabbi Hillel. And there were those, who, uh, and, and there were those that taught that he had the best understanding of the scriptures. Uh, do you know what Hillel said about marriage and divorce? He basically said that you could get a divorce for any reason. Uh, I'll give you some of those reasons that Hillel believed. And, and, uh, and, and another school of thinking was that of Rabbi Shammah. He believed that there was only one reason for divorce. Uh, and that was for sexual immorality. Uh, and, and Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian at the time of Christ, said that during this time, the people could get a divorce for any reason. And they did. And they did. It, it sounds like America today, doesn't it? Uh, we have throwaway marriages. We have people getting married without any responsibility. With the idea that if it doesn't work out, we can just throw it away. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get somebody else. I'm telling you that that has never been God's plan, and it's not God's plan today. Throwaway marriages is not of God. So the majority of people living at the time of Christ were following the teaching of Hillel, when it came to divorce, uh, let me give you some of the things that Rabbi Hillel said about divorce. His comments are, are, are included in the, the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was composed about 200 B.C., 200 years before Christ. These are some of the things, and, and I didn't write them all down. A man could get a divorce, could divorce his wife if she was barren. If she became a deaf mute. 
If she had epilepsy, tetanus, warts, or leprosy. If she failed to do certain services in the home. Each day she was required to ground, ground flour, bake bread, wash clothes, cook food, nurse the children, make the beds, and weave the wool. Rabbinical law stated that certain physical defects in the wife are so offensive that they were legitimate grounds for divorce. The general principle was that, it, that any physical defect or blemish that was serious enough to disqualify a man from the priesthood was sufficiently repulsive to serve, uh, to serve was grounds uh, for divorce. For example, if her head was wedge-shaped, turnip-shaped, or hammer-shaped, or if her head was otherwise malformed, such as a, a sunk-in or, or, sunk or flat in the back, she could divorce, he, he could divorce his wife if she had poor posture or thinning hair. He could divorce her if she had no eyebrows, one eyebrow, or bushy eyebrows. He could divorce her if she had a pug nose. The condition of her eyes are particularly important. If she had eyes too high or too low, if she was cross-eyed, had no eyelashes, had Two uh, eyes of two different colors, watery eyes, had eyes big as a cat or as small like a goose. Any of these justified divorce. Uh, clearly, in the days of our Lord, anyone could get a divorce for any reason, and they did. Uh, I want to tell you today that God has a better plan than, than, than disposable marriages. Many years ago, there was a sign in a jewelry store in, in Los Angeles, California, uh, that said, Wedding rings for rent. That says a lot about where uh, we are in our culture today and, and about the common belief about marriage is. We're going to look at the series of scriptures today and notice what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. Listen, you will not know what the Bible says about marriage and divorce unless you know everything the Bible says about marriage and and divorce. In the 19th chapter of Matthew, we'll turn there later, uh, um, the Pharisees were trying to trip up Jesus, and, and they said, why did Moses give us a bill of divorcement? Why did uh, he command a bill of divorcement? Well, and Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, and he, in the beginning, it was not so. So I want to go back to the beginning. If divorce was not part of the plan, what was part of the plan? What was God's original design? Uh, and what was God's ideal for marriage? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. You'll turn there in your scriptures. Genesis chapter 2. I want us to follow along with this because I want everyone to see these words yourself. Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to see what God's original uh, plan was. You remember uh, that all this book, all, all this took place before man had sinned. Uh, this all happened in the peaceful sanctuary at the Garden of Eden. All of this was God's original design. And, and the first thing we see, need to see about God's original design it, it, it is in marriage. Is that marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, governments can adopt laws. Cultures can adopt what philosophies they wish. But it is God who is the originator of marriage. 
It is God who created marriage. Marriage is not man's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage doesn't come from the church. Marriage doesn't come from government. Marriage comes from God. If he created it, don't you think he has the right to determine the qualification of a godly marriage? Well, so first of all, it was between a man and a woman. And this was all part of the creation process. God said, it was good. It was good. It was good. Then God created man. And then he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me. Now, isn't that significant? Uh, that all of the created activities of God, it was good, 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 good. Then when it came to man, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. Then notice what he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 24. Therefore shall man leave his father. He created Adam and Eve, uh, Eve and brought Eve to Adam. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and they and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now the word therefore tells us a reasoned conclusion. God is saying, I have made man. I have made a helpmate from him. And the reasoned conclusion is that man therefore, in light of what I have done for him, should leave his father and mother, should cleave unto his wife. It's suggested that a man cannot be one flesh with his wife until he has first left his father and mother and he is actually cleaving to his wife. These two verbs are strong words. He is to leave and he is to cleave. Young men, you'll never know, uh, never be one flesh with your wife until you do what the Bible says and that is to leave and to cleave unto his own wife. Now, that one flesh is something that's a little more difficult. I, I've studied it for years, and I, I must confess, I don't know all that it means. Uh, but this is what I believe. There are two people, man and woman. God brought them together. If you ever want to have a godly marriage, you make sure that God has put you together. If you get ahead of God, if you, get it, if you rebel against God's plan, I'm telling you, you're heading for heartache. Uh, if she, he or she will not go to church with you and accept your God, he or she is not the person for you to marry. You're heading for sorrow. You may not lead to divorce, but you'll, you'll never know the true fullness and the joy of, of a one flesh marriage. So what does one flesh marriage involve? I, I, I believe it involves the, the sexual relationship. Never is a husband and wife more of being one flesh than then. I, I believe it involves, uh, but but I, it involves that. But I, I think it's much deeper than that. I think it's there is a oneness in soul. There there is a oneness in spirit, a oneness in mind, uh, and and a physical oneness. That's that's a one flesh marriage. Let me tell you, it's going to take more than just human love to have a one flesh marriage. Only God can help you have a one flesh marriage. In the beginning, God brought Adam to Eve, brought Adam and Eve together. He said to leave your father and mother, cleave unto your wife, and you will have a one flesh marriage. Do you know what? Sin entered the world. Do you know what sin? That sin changed everything. 
Sin changed everything. What, what was meant to be beautiful and wholesome and godly marriage. And when sin entered the world, what was the first thing they noticed? Well, you probably don't want to say it, but they noticed that they were naked. Uh, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves, they, to cover the reproductive organs. The human, na human nature being what it is, men being what they are, they began to become tired of their wife. And they would see a younger or a more beautiful woman, and they would lust after her, and they would desire her, until we come down to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now turn over there to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, I want us to look at this passage because uh, it's very significant. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the issue of putting away someone's wife had become such an issue that God intervened. The, that, and God gave the law concerning divorce. Uh, look with me at, at, at Deuteronomy chapter 24. It seems to me up to, up to this chapter, uh, what happened was, was this. When a man got tired of his wife and he wanted another wife, he would just put her away. And at that time, wives were considered property. And, and they had very few rights. Uh, so a husband would become tired of his wife and he would become engaged in an unlawful affair with another woman and he would say, you're out and she's in. And, and so what would this woman do? Um, was she to be given to a life of prostitution? How was she going to survive? She had no one to take care of her. And if she's going to be with another man, then, then they will be committed adultery. I want you to see this. God, in order to bring order in society, in order to protect the rights of women, give her a bill of divorcement. This bill of divorcement would free her to go out and marry another man. And when they came together, she would not be committing adultery. Why? Because she had a bill of divorcement. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 4, 24 is all, all about. Let's look at verse number 1. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it, be, and it come to pass that she, that she find no favor in his eyes. Let's stop here for a second. He finds no favor in her. What is that? What, what does that mean, no favor in her? You might say it was because of adultery. But I assure you it was not because of adultery. Why? Because if, if she was guilty of adultery, what would have happened to her? She would have been stoned. So whatever he's talking about, it could not have been adultery. She would have been stoned. By the way, death ends at marriage. Uh, death ends a marriage according to the Bible. Uh, so there wouldn't be any need for a divorce. She would have been dead. Then it says, because he had found some uncleanness in her. We don't know what, to what extent this uncleanness means, but it could not have been adultery. Next it says, then let him write her a bill of divorcement. What had they been doing up until this time? Well, they, they were sending her out. They, I'm finished with you, go away. 
so he says, in order to protect the woman, give her a bill of divorcement and give it into her hand and send her out of his, his house. Verse number two. And when she is departed out of his house, notice this part very clearly, she may go and be another man's wife. I want to stop here for a minute. There was a time when I was taught, well, he has two living wives. And she's got two living husbands. Listen, there's no such thing. There is no such thing. Look what it says. She may go and be another man's wife. And she has the bill of divorcement and marries again. She has one husband. The idea of this, of, of two living wives and two living husbands. Uh, don't you know that we have a law against that in the state of Florida? Uh, you can't have to. You can't have to. When someone in the Bible says that a bishop must be the husband of one wife, Paul is not excluding divorcees. I know some of you are going to balk at that, but that is not what the Bible says. God has never excluded divorcees from being pastors. There have been many pharisaical preachers that have, but that goes beyond the scope of God's law. And when you do that, you are just as guilty as the Pharisees in the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse number 3 says, And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement, boy, she's having a bad day, isn't she? <laughs> and, and give it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the, the latter husband died, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she, that she is defiled, and for, and for that is abomination before the Lord. So, so what is he saying? He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this bill of divorcement, here's the law governing divorce, and that is, you, you give her a bill of divorcement, and she is free to marry another man. She's going to be taken care of, someone to support her. She's going to have protection. But he says this is something you need to remember. The first husband can never marry her again. So what is God doing with this bill of divorcement? Two things. First of all, he's preventing hasty divorces. In a bit of anger or rage... You're gone. No, you can't do that. You've got to give a bill of divorcement. It's going to take some time. So it prevented hasty divorces. Every woman who is saved ought to give thanks to God because God takes care of women. This bill of divorcement protects the reputation of the woman. What if the man sent the woman out? And he began to talk about her. He began to ruin her reputation. And he began to say nasty, hurtful things about her. And ten years down the road, he start, she starts looking good to him again. God said, no, you can't marry her again. You lied about her in the first place. And I'm not going to give you a second chance with her. God gave this bill of divorcement to prevent speedy divorces. And God gave this bill of divorcement to protect the reputation of the woman. Now let's go to back to Matthew chapter 5. 
Jesus said, It hath been said. Why had it been said? Because the rabbis had, had given the oral tradition, not necessarily the word of God, but Jesus says, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, now here's the exception clause. You will notice that in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, the exception clause is not there. Some people have made a big deal about that. They say that Matthew was wrong to include this exception clause, but Matthew was not wrong. And the second thing, God only has to say something one time to be for it to be true. Uh, God doesn't have to repeat himself over and over to, uh, to make something true. I don't know why Mark and Luke left it out, but, but Matthew included it, and I believe in the inspiration and the perfection and the authority of the Scripture. And so that is what, uh, is what it, uh, that's the way that it is. So he gives us the exception clause, saving, which means accept, for the cause of fornication. Now this word fornication comes from the word Pornia. Which is, is where we get the word pornography. And it seems to mean more many sexual sins combined into one word. This would include homosexuality, bestiality, and adultery. And if the law of God con condemned it, it was included in the word pornea. Fornication. Why fornication? Why not some other terrible sin? Why is it that God says divorce is permitted uh, because of fornication? I believe it's because of the damage that is caused in the picture of Christ in the church. When a man or woman has sex outside of marriage, and marriage is a picture of Jesus and his church, the love and faithfulness that Jesus has through his church, for that reason... When that picture is ruined by infidelity, divorce is permitted. Let me say this. Sexual immorality doesn't have to always end in divorce. There have been many couples who have survived things like this. Forgiveness has been granted. They have received help. God has helped. God has given strength. Sexual immorality doesn't have to end in divorce. Now turn to Matthew chapter 19. The Jews are trying to trick Jesus. It seems they were trying to get Jesus to take the side of Hillel or the side of Shema. And that would put Jesus on one side against the other. And it seems that they wanted Jesus to be labeled as against divorce. Because they remembered how John the Baptist lost his head over that issue. So if they could get Jesus to say what John the Baptist said, they could have him killed too. Look what Jesus said. They were trying to trip Jesus up. See in verse number 3, tempting him. And they asked the question, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus said, have ye not read? You see, he is not talking to the general public. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, have you not read that he that which made them at the beginning made them male and female? It ought to be the goal of every Christian to live out the ideal situation and not the law. 
The law says you have a, to give a bill of divorcement. The idea says one woman, one man for life. What our desire should be is the ideal situation. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Look at verse number 7. Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Right here is a misinterpretation of the Pharisees' reading of the law. Moses didn't command that they get a divorce, did he? Moses didn't say that if she is unfaithful, then you are commanded to get a divorce. That's a distortion of the law of God. Jesus takes them back to the original plan of God in marriage. You can't improve upon God's design. And that is one man and one woman for life. There was a story about these grandparents celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. The granddaughter asked the grandmother, Grandma, 50 years is a long time. Have you ever considered divorce during these 50 years? She says, no. I thought about murder, though. <laughs> Listen, staying in a marriage requires work. It requires unconditional love. It requires a ton of forgiveness. It requires grace. And it requires mercy. In spite of it all, there are times when the best Christians can't keep their marriages together. Listen, you cannot control another person. You cannot make your husband or wife be a godly person. You cannot make them to be faithful you cannot make them to be holy. My heart is broken for good Christians who are married to worldly, ungodly-minded people. Some of the worst grief that a person can have is because of divorce. More so sometimes than death. A few years ago, one of the young ladies in our church in Romania lost her dad. She cried. Sure, she cried. She didn't cry as much as she did a few weeks ago. She was telling me her husband had left her and wanted a divorce. For the time being, it looks like it's not going to happen. And, and, and for now, I'm, I'm happy about that. God help those who have gone through the tremendous pain of abandonment. And God have mercy on professed Christians that want to sit in judgment on those who have been abandoned. I want to tell you that Christian people may not want uh, to, to share your pain, but there's a God in heaven who will. God will come to you when you feel like the world has crashed, when someone you love has abandoned you, God is with you. Now turn quickly to one more passage of scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We can't look at the entire chapter, but look at verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Now let me say here that, that when Paul said that he spoke and not the Lord, he was not saying that God had nothing to do with the statement. He is saying that Jesus, the Lord, had not dealt with this particular issue. 
Sometimes he was repeating what Jesus had said. Other times he was speaking by apostolic authority, by the inspiration of God. He's just letting us know that Jesus had not dealt with this particular situation. And he said in the last part of verse 10, Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. That means two unbelievers marry, and after some time, one of them gets saved, and the other one continues to be lost. He said, you don't have to get a divorce over that. If the unbeliever wants to leave, he or she can leave. Look at verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. Notice this next part. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. So he is saying, if you're married to an unbeliever and they want to leave because you are a believer, they can leave. Now drop down to verse number 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Verse number 28. Notice this part. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Did you see that? But if, and that, if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Let me finish this up. God's plan for you is one man and one woman for life. That's God's ideal situation. You can't improve, improve on that plan. The Jews said, why did, Jesus, did Moses say to give them a, a writing but divorcement? Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. That's not God's idea. That's not God's best for you. But because of the hardness of hearts. Listen, every divorce may not be a sin. But there is sin behind every divorce. Satan and sin is attacking the home. God's plan is one man, one woman for life. God can help you have that kind of home. If that hasn't been the case for you today, let's just say that you were in the wrong. I want you to know that God can forgive you. It is not the unpardonable sin. God can forgive you. God will forgive you. If you've been divorced or abandoned, let me point you to the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can count on Jesus. You can cast all your cares on Him. We have a wonderful Savior who never leaves us, who forgives us, who restores us, and we serve the God of a second chance. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Why the second time? Because he had rebelled against him the first time. 
Aren't you glad that doesn't God does not give up on us? Let's all stand. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the scriptures we've had before us this morning. Dear Lord, there's many situations in the services here today, many thoughts that are rolling around in people's minds that I do the right thing, that I do the wrong thing. Every situation is different. Lord, we know that you forgive us even when we do the wrong thing. And just because, and when we are forgiven, Lord, we're, we, we, we understand that we're, it's forgotten. And it's not, it should never hinder us from moving forward with your will for our lives. And dear Lord, I pray that the sins of the past will, will be forgiven and that we might dedicate our lives from this point forward to live a life of a testimony for you and for what you can do through people's lives. Dear Lord, I pray for our young people as they make this very important decision and as the time comes that you bring two people together. I pray that they will seek your will in this matter and that they'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the person that they're going to marry is the person that you would want them to marry. Dear Lord, I pray for our young people. The pressures of this world, pressures to, 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 to lose their purity before marriage. Dear Lord, I just pray that you would just be with them. Help them, give them the strength to, to remain pure until you bring them together with their husband or their wife. Dear Lord, just thank you for this church. Thank you for all of its members and for what you're using them for and will continue to do through them. Thank you for your scriptures today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.